Genesis 15, verses 1 through 21. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came, came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, the word of God stands forever. Let me pray for us before we look at it further. Heavenly Father, we, as always, we need you. We need you by your Holy Spirit, please, to to illuminate these words to us. We always need that, and particularly tonight with a passage that in many ways seems so foreign to us. Would you not only help us to understand the facts of it, but would you take the, the message of it, the truth of it, and would you apply it to our hearts so that we might so that we might be changed, so that we might see your grace and your mercy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I've uh, mentioned before, I, I believe in various illustrations, one of my favorite TV shows among the, among the couple that I watch um, is a show called Suits on USA. It's a lawyer show. Yeah, okay, some of you seen it. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming, since she seems to be pretty cool, that Fritz's grandmother seen it. Um, and so the main character in the show... Yeah, come to RUF, your grandmother might get called out, right? Uh, the main character of the show is the sort of hotshot lawyer, Harvey Specter. Um, and one of the type scenes that happens pretty regularly, in some sense almost every episode, 
uh, is that basically somebody is going to come to Harvey with some sort of problem, right? They need something to happen. They need a judge to sign off on a this or that, or they need somebody to take the settlement or whatever it is. And so they come to, they come to Harvey, and when they tell him, he, always, he almost always says something like, you know, uh, they'll take the settlement. And inevitably, that person will ask, well, how do, you, how do you know that? How do you know they're going to take the settlement? And he says something along the lines of, because I'm going to make them take the settlement. How do you know the judge is going to sign the whatever judges sign? And he'll say, it's going to happen. How do you know? Because I'm going to make it happen. And in a sense, that's the whole tension of the show. It's really, it, the question really is, is, can Harvey make it happen? Can he do it? Can he come through? And at least so far, he, he proves that he can. We'll wait and see. So what does that have to do with Abram or Abraham? What does it have to do with us? Um, and in a sense, it, it has everything to do with us because it's the same question that Abraham's asking. It's, the, it's fundamentally the same question that Abraham is asking God and that you and I uh, very well might be asking God. How can I know for sure? Abram's asking, how can I know that you're going to bring blessing to me? You've made these great promises. How can I know for sure? And if you're a believer, uh, you probably are asking the same question. So if you've been with us, you know this semester we're studying through Genesis, first half of the first book of the Bible. And every week we say that Genesis is kind of like season one of all of life, right? Just like if you wanted to, you hear about suits and you think, all right, I want to jump in on that. Uh, if you start watching this week's episode, it's going to be hard to follow a little bit. And the best way for you to get into it is to do what? Go back to season one and watch from the beginning, right? And so we're saying in a sense, the same way, if we want to understand life, our context, right? If we want to stand, understand ourselves and who God is and the world around us, what better place to go than back to the beginning, to the backstory where it all started? Um, and what we're seeing this week is that Abram comes with the question, he comes to God with the question of how can I know that you'll really do what you say you'll do? And basically what we see is that God's answer is because I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. And so we can, we're going to see that we can know, that we can actually have assurance of God's blessing uh, tonight. And I want to look at it in three ways. Uh, basically, we're going to look at, uh, number one, what is it that God gives us? What is the, this blessing? Uh, number two, how can God give it to us? And thirdly, how do we receive it? How can we take it? Okay? So that's our, that's our outline. First, what is it that God gives us? All right, so just to recap quickly where we are in Genesis, right? We saw in Genesis 12 that God makes these great promises to Abraham, to Abram. Uh, he says that he's going to make him like a king, that he's going uh, to give him uh, not only a child, but a, a whole nation's going to come from him, right? He doesn't have kids at the time. Uh, his wife is barren. And God says, I'm going to give you kids, and not just kids, but a whole nation. And in fact, your nation that comes out of you is going to bless the whole world. Basically, I'm going to change the world through you. Uh, but the problem, you know, we followed Abraham through that, that amazing promise that's bigger than we realize, right? And then last, I think last week, right, we saw him stumble, right? Uh, sort of selling out his wife to, the, to, the, to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But here we see, God, we see Abraham asking God, how can I know that's true? Because here's the deal. 
Abram still doesn't have any kids. God made these promises, you know, a while back. And he said, I'm going to make it happen. And yet, God is stuck with him, but still no kid. Still no, you know, evidence of this promise necessarily. And so he basically comes to God and he says, you know, as it stands now, this guy that works for me, uh, Eleazar of Damascus, he's going to be my heir. So what's the deal with that? And look, we could, and maybe this should have been the point, but I'm just going to throw this out there. One thing I want you to notice is that in Abraham's doubt, in his questioning, I want you to see that he takes that to God, right? And God receives him in that. And so if you find yourself in that position of, of doubt, of wondering about God, take it to God, right? Again, maybe we should dwell on that longer, but we don't have time. So basically God looks at him and he says, no, uh, this, the guy that works for you is not going to be your heir. Of your very own son is going to be, the heir, be your heir. And he takes him outside. He says, look, let's go outside. You know, it's a beautiful night. And he says, do you see all these stars? Start counting the stars if you can. And he said, that's how many kids I'm going to give you, right? That's how many are going to come from you. And then there in the next verse, verse 6, that's where it really starts to get really interesting. Because the text says, and he believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, what's that all about? Look, we have the benefit, uh, it's, you know, it's somewhat vague here, right? But we have the benefit of the New Testament that sheds a ton of light on what's going on here in this passage, at least right here in this point. Um, in Romans, in Romans 4, 1 through 4, Paul quotes this very passage, verse 6 in our text. And it's when he's talking about this concept of justification. He said, he's talking about what it means to be made right with God, to be justified. And he uses verse 6 as his example. Paul's point is that justification, this being made right with God, comes by faith. But he uses Abraham as the example. He, said, uh, he says that just like Abraham believed, and God counted it to him as righteousness. He basically says that's what justification is. In fact, the Greek word justification, right, the, the word that we have translated as justification, the, the root of that is the same word for righteousness. Right? It basically means, you know, pardon the expression, it basically, it basically means that God righteousness affies someone. That he makes them righteous. And it's actually a legal term. It, it sort of comes from the courtroom. It's a declaration that God makes. That he makes a pronouncement about someone and declares them to be it's actually two things, and we're going to dig into this tonight. He declares them to be forgiven of their sins, that, that they bear no penalty or guilt, and declares that they're righteous. So it takes away the guilt and the shame, and it credits righteousness, goodness, right, holiness, in a sense. It's a twofold idea. And Paul's saying, that's what is happening here. That's what... When Abram looks at God and he says, how am I going to know? That God looks at him and he says, look, I'm going to make it happen. 
And one of the first things that he does for him, right, the next point is going to be, how can God do that? And we're going to, that's sort of the main point. But what I want you to see right here is that he begins by saying, look, I know that you want uh, these promises that I've made to you of, of land and children and, uh, and those sorts of things, but all of those are unto the end of you being made righteous. And that's what I'm giving you now. Right? What you need more than anything else, what all those other things actually are just going to be working towards, as much as he wants a child, and God is going to give him one, it all actually is pointing towards him being made right with God. And that's what God gives him. Right? You can begin to see how Abraham could, could begin to see that he could trust God, right? Or continue, right? Be confirmed in his faith. Because he says, look what I'm giving you now. I'm giving you, I'm declaring you to be righteous. I'm declaring about you that your sins are gone. And now look, did, what did Abraham, you know, how much of that did he exactly understand? Certainly, and obviously he didn't understand it through the lens of Jesus Christ, which we're going to you know, look at in a minute. So I don't know exactly what Abraham understood. But he, to some degree, he saw the truth. That God promised to take away all the guilt, all the bad things that he had done, right? Remember, selling his wife out so that he could live. And, and plenty more. And credit to him righteousness because he trusted him. God just declares it to be so. He doesn't do anything for it. That's what we're going to flesh out. But he just makes this declaration about him. You could think about it like when Amy and I got married, what, 13 and a half-ish years ago. Uh, when we got married, when we walked into that sanctuary, we were single, right? Both of us, single. And we stand in front of the preacher, you go through the ceremony, and then what does he do? He raises his hands and he says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. The preacher makes a declaration about us, and all of a sudden... In one sense, everything is different now, right? We were single, that was our status, that was our standing, and now we are married. In a sense, nothing's changed inside of us, or or in every sense, nothing inside of us has changed, but something outside of us has changed. It's a whole new status, it's a whole new standing. And that's what God is showing Abram, and ultimately and hopefully showing us here. The, the, the blessing that God brings is to declare you to be righteous, to be perfect. We're going to explore that a little further uh, as, we, as we continue here. But look, what does that mean? Look, we could, in a sense, we could spend almost all semester on this passage. In some, re- in some ways, I'm just more nervous about this sermon because this is such a rich passage. It's so beautiful. But we don't have much time. Uh, so what does it mean for us? Again, we could go on forever, but look, if you're like me, your tendency is to think about the way that you stand with God, how, how you, yeah, you're standing with God, how he views you, that it's based, it's based on what you do, that who you are with God is based on what you do. And what I want you to see, what he's telling Abraham and what he's telling you and I is that that is not true. That the good news of the gospel 
is that he comes along, that God comes along and he makes a declaration. And he just says something's true about you that wasn't. But he makes it true. And so what you are is not tied to what you do. Now we, we will see and we could talk about that what you do comes out of what you are. But let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Alright, so how, how can God do that? Our, our second point. How can God, how can he make a declaration like that? How can, Abram, Abram is not righteous, okay? He's just not, right? We demonstrated that at length last week. But God comes along and he says, I declare you to be righteous. The New Testament uh, says the same thing about, about believers. So how can that be the case? How can God do that? And how can we know that he does that? Um... And, and that's where we get to sort of the meat of this passage, right? What God, this, this sort of weird part of what God does with Abram, with this, you know, go get animals, cut them in half, what's that all about? So after Abram uh, believes God and it was credited to him as righteousness, the whole scene sort of repeats itself, right? God makes a promise of land, and then Abram asks, how can I know that I'll get that? And that's when things turn really weird, right? If you live in 2015, and you do. Because God basically looks at him and he says, go get some animals. Get a heifer and a goat, whatever it was. And he says, go get those animals, cut them in half, and then uh, set each piece apart from the other. Basically, make an aisle, right? Much like here in this room. Set, set the pieces on each side, and we're going to make an aisle. And now look, that, that's really strange to us. I, I would venture to guess that you've never done this. But to Abraham... This was not strange at all. This was very standard, what we would call covenant-making procedure. Right? Um, in this day and age, if you wanted to make a, a special agreement with somebody, this is how you did it. Right? Today, if you want to make an, a, a, a binding agreement with somebody, what do you do? You, uh, you get some attorneys, you end up in an office somewhere, you have some papers that list out everything, and you both sign it. Right? That's very normal. That would have been really weird to Abraham. But this is what they did. They cut the pieces in half, and then both parties that were going to enter into this agreement, they rehearsed who they were and what the agreement was all about. So they would, they would talk about their relationship. They would say, you know, basically, I'm the king and you are the, uh, the servant. I promise to do these things for you, and you promise in return to do these things. Right? So they make their agreement, and then they both walk between those pieces. And the reason they did that was it was to symbolically say that if I don't keep my end of the agreement, may this, the, the cutting in half, happen to me. Right? It's a, it's a sort of living illustration, and you know, a drama that they would enact. And so that's what's going on here. I promise to do this and that and whatever else, and if not, may I be torn in two. So that's what, that, that's what that is. That's what's going on here. They're making a covenant. Um, and so again, this seems not strange to Abraham until verse 17. Until verse 17. Because the scene's set, and then Abram goes into this, God puts him into this sort of weird, deep sleep. And then Abraham watches the ceremony unfold. He sees this smoking fire pot and flaming torch. What in the world's that? It's basically a, a, 
It's a manifestation of God's presence, right? In the, in the desert, what did the Israelites follow? Pillar of fire and smoke, right? What, how did God show up on Sinai? Fire and smoke. Throughout the Bible, very often you see fire uh, and smoke, right, representing God's presence. So that's what's going on here. And so, but what, what is strange to Abraham is that God passes through the pieces by himself. That would have blown Abraham's mind. That would be like going to a wedding and you, everything's totally normal, looks like a great wedding, and then the vows come and only one of them takes vows. And then they continue on and you're married, right? And you would think, whoa, 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 okay, that was strange, right? That in some sense had to be Abraham's reaction because he sees God, basically God alone, go through the pieces. Now, what's the deal with that? What's going on? Are you beginning to see it? If Abraham is asking the question, how can I know that this is going to be real, that you're really going to do it? God basically says, watch. You sit there and you watch. God is basically saying, I'm going to keep my end of the promise. And if I don't, may I be torn in two. And I'm going to keep your end of the promise. And if you break your end of the promise, may I be torn in two. That's how you can know that you and I are going to be together forever. That's how you can know that I'm going to make good on my promise because I'm going to make it happen. He's shown him in the most vivid way possible that the salvation, that he's going to bring salvation, that he's going to bring blessing, and it's going to be entirely based on what he does and not on anything about what Abraham does or Abraham's people, i.e. believers. The salvation comes purely by God's work. And that's how you can begin to know. That, that's how you can begin to have some assurance. Because God is demonstrating, it is, I'm doing all of it. Every bit of it. About 10 years ago? Gosh, is that true? Yeah. Um, 07, so let's call it 8. Uh, about however long ago. My mom needed a new computer. And she, her computer, no kidding, was still running Windows 98. So needless to say, it wasn't working very well. My mom knew, knows very, very little, knew at that point nothing about computers. And so we were a, uh, a Mac family at this point, Amy and I. And so I was pleading with my mom to get, look, you need to get a Mac. Please, just trust me, it'll work, right? Not like the one you have. And so the only way that, the, the final selling point, was the feature that uh, the feature of screen sharing? Basically, we, we came to realize that so we lived like 600 miles apart. Then when she had a problem, so she didn't want it because it's foreign to her, right? Like, mom, the one you have is foreign to you, but it's beside the point. 
She honest, I promise you, she honestly did not know. I hope, Mom, I love you if you ever listen to this, but she did not know what cut and paste was. <laughs> promise. 2007. All right, so anyway. Um, so we realized that it has this feature. The Mac has this feature, and maybe Windows did too, but I'm not telling her that. That we could, I could take over her computer. Because she said, look, when I get it, I'll get it home, and it's just not going to work right, right? Just like, you know, how math class, right? Look good on the board, and then I got home, I couldn't figure it out. That's going to happen to my computer. Well, with the Mac, I could get on there, log on to her computer, and see it on my screen, and whatever I did, it happened on her computer, right? So, like, I could literally, you know, I'm moving the mouse in Louisville, Kentucky, and things are changing in Meridian, Mississippi. I can fix her settings, whatever she's screwed up, I can fix it, right? And so when she called onto that, she's like, all right, we'll do it, right? So you get the point, hopefully. The only way this was going to work was if I did everything, right? It's always dangerous to be sort of the, the God, you know, example and the illustration, but this one I think is fair. The only way this is going to work for my mom is if, because she can't do any of it is if somebody can come along and take care of all of it entirely. It's just a little taste of what's going on. And God's showing Abram and us that we can know that God's salvation, His blessing will come to us because He's going to make it happen by keeping both sides of the covenant. And how does He do that? Well, Ultimately, this all points forward to God coming in the flesh in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Right? And in fact, in some ways, it's really the only way to understand what, who Jesus was and is and what he came to do. It's through this understanding, this lens. Because Jesus left the glory of heaven and he came to earth to be a substitute for his people. He came to take our place. For him to ultimately bring blessing and salvation to people that can't do it for themselves, he had to come and accomplish it entirely himself. He had to deal justly with sin and he had, to bring, he had to fulfill the requirement of righteousness. So he does it himself. The New Testament fleshes it out, right? And it calls it justification. And it's this dual idea. Uh, let me read to you 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake, he, God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Go home and read Galatians 3 3. It's another good one. But it's this idea that this, this truth that God takes the sin of his people and he credits it to Jesus on the cross. That he takes that sin and he puts it on Jesus. And he treats Jesus as if he were you. And he takes. At the same time, he takes Jesus' righteousness and he credits it to you if you trust him. He takes Jesus' righteousness, not some sort of vague righteousness, not just to you know, sort of make you good, give you a gold star. He takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he credits it to you. His perfection in your account. What you deserve for the terrible things that you think and that I think, for the terrible things that I do and that you do. He took all that out on Jesus. It's this beautiful concept of 
justification, that God makes you righteous in his sight. Right? Whatever it is for you, whatever, whatever weighs you down, whatever your conscience calls you, we've, we've done this before, but if your conscience calls you liar or cheat or hateful, uh, pervert, whatever it is that your conscience says about you, that's what Jesus became for you. He didn't become sinful, but he took on that sin, and God treated him as that. So that he can give you his righteousness. Right? It's the heart of the gospel. This is as good as it gets. He did it all. So the beauty of salvation, the beauty of the gospel, is that it's a story, it's a truth. It's a truth about what God has done for us. That, That he's the main actor. It's all about what he's done and not something that we get the opportunity to try and do. I give you uh, this illustration. I'm going to read a little bit here. It's not good, you know, didactics, but I think you'll appreciate this. Um, I think I've used an illustration from Dave Ireland before. It was a guy that uh, he had some sort of sort of like uh, ALS. I'm not. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he had some sort of disease that was paralyzing him slowly. And he was uh, his wife was pregnant at the time, and he didn't know if he'd live long enough to see his child. And so, right, you already know, like, okay, this is going to be a it's going to be a little bit of a tough book to read. Uh, so he writes a book called Letters to an Unborn Child, right? You can grab the Kleenex. Um, and so he basically, he writes, he wants to pass on lessons to his unborn child. He wants to tell his child what his mother's like, those sorts of things. So I'm going to read a, a, sort of a long paragraph. I think you'll appreciate it. Um, he's describing to his unborn baby what, it's, what being married to his mother's like. Your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house, down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair up, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, back it up, get out of the car to pull the garage door down, get back in the car and drive to the restaurant, And then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, removes my wheelchair from the car, and unfolds it. Opens my door, spins me around, stands me up, sits me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the car, wheels me in the restaurant, then takes off the pedals so I won't be uncomfortable. Then sits down and we have dinner. She feeds me throughout the entire meal, wipes the dribbles from my lips, and when it's all over, she pays the bill, she pushes the wheelchair out to the car, and reverses the whole routine all over again, And when it's all over and finished, she will say with real warmth, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. Ireland says, I never know quite what to say. All right. That's just a little taste. As unbelievable as that is. That's just a little taste, right? Of the beauty and the truth of the gospel. She did everything in that story. And he got the credit. And she loves him. And that's just, it's a great illustration. But it's still just a little taste. That God in his salvation, he does everything for you. And he gives you the credit. 
Because he loves you. That's how you can know. How can you know? Yeah, how, how can I know that God really is going to do that, right? How, how all in is God? So much so that he would rip himself apart to save you, right? Because it's not a question of, it wasn't a question of if. When God made that covenant, right, in a sense, Jesus' fate was sealed. We'll put that in quotes. Because it wasn't like, well, maybe he can keep it. And then, hey, that'd be great. He already knows he can't keep it. He knows that he's going to have to rip himself apart. And he's willing to do that because he loves you. So, uh, gosh, thirdly, finally, and very quickly, how do we receive it? If, if that sounds good to you, how do you get that? Uh, the answer is very simple. Um, the Bible calls it faith. It says Abraham believed or had faith, same, same root word. He believed in God and God credited, credited righteousness to him. He believed. And now look, we could spend a long time about what that means and what it is. But go home and read the rest of Romans 4 because Paul gets into that, right? He talks about justification and he says, Abraham and so do we, we receive it by faith. And, and he goes on to say that faith is not a, another work that you do. It's the opposite. It's simply resting. It's simply trusting, right? In other words, it's, it's having empty hands to take a gift. Because that's exactly what God offers as a gift. It's a blessing. It's free to us if you need it. And I want to end with this thought very quickly, an illustration. Um, because if you're like me, you, you could still be following along and thinking, yeah, but, but then it's a question of my faith and how strong my faith is. And my faith isn't very strong, and so I'm just right back where I started. So how can I, how can I really know? Because I don't think my faith is very good. And what I want you to see is that even in regard to your faith, it's still, the, the, the basis of salvation is still what Jesus has done for you and, and not even your faith. We can say it like this. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. That it's not, it's not the strength of our faith that matters, it's the object of our faith that saves us. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us, it's the object of our faith. Very quickly, a friend of mine, uh, when he got out of, I think he graduated college, he and a few of his friends took a, uh, wanted to go skydiving. And so they uh, go skydiving. If you're a first-timer, which they all were, you have to go in tandem, right? You're literally attached to one of the instructors. And on the ground, you can sign a form that says, if I get up there and I freak out and I say, no, I don't want to go, you will still jump out of the plane with me. Because I ultimately know I want to go, so I'm signing up. And so one of the girls, it was, I can't remember, several of them, one of the girls said that, sign the form. And so they get up there in the plane, and they're all, the, the, uh, the, their confidence level is all over the map, right? Like, my, the guy that I know the best in the story, I mean, he's probably, you know, hanging him over the edge, let's do this, right? Totally confident that this is all going to work out fine, it's going to be fun. There are a few people, probably most of them, are kind of nervous about this, but right, we're going to be okay. And then there's this one girl, and she, you know, like, no, 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 don't, uh, this is, I don't want to be here. Like, sorry, sign the paper. And guess how many of them lived? All of them. <laughs> All kinds of different confidence in how that, that end was going to work out, right? 
I guess you could say, confidence in the, uh, in the parachute, right? One of them completely confident, right? Hopefully you can see where this is going. Had total faith in that parachute. Some of them had a decent amount, and one of them had only the tiniest fraction. And all of them were saved to connect the parallel, right? It wasn't how much... It wasn't how much confidence they had in the parachute that saved them. It was the parachute. The only thing that was affected was how much they enjoyed the ride. So you see, it's not even the strength of your faith that saves you. Even in regard to our faith, it's still all about Jesus. Gosh, we've got to finish and we are. Um, yeah, let me end with this thought. Can God make it happen? How can you know? He already has. Look at the cross. He's already done it for you. Let me pray. Father, you have accomplished in, in the person and work of Jesus an amazing salvation. And it is accomplished. I, I pray that, that we would all lay hold of that truth. That it would be true for us. That we would all lay hold of it in faith tonight. Maybe someone here tonight, even for the very first time. Would you do that? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.